My heart was thirsty. It was hungry for life, for the breath of God. And it was like a magnet to me. It wasn't the program and the method, but there was just this sense that God was there. Maybe one of my favorite definitions of really a spiritual awakening or a revival, God is there. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and this is First Person. Welcome, everyone, to this week's program with our guest, Byron Paulus of Life Action Ministries. We'll learn more today about his desire to see revival through a national spiritual awakening. As we begin today's program, I'd like to invite you to visit our website where you can learn more about the people you meet on First Person. We've set it up so you can follow links to each guest. Plus, we've archived each interview so you can go back and listen anytime is convenient. Our website is firstpersoninterview.com. That's firstpersoninterview.com, where you can also see the schedule of upcoming programs. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Byron Paulus is the executive director and president of Life Action Ministries, the parent organization of Revive Our Hearts with Nancy DeMoss, and One Cry, a call to a national spiritual awakening. More about One Cry at the end of today's program. I asked Byron to sit down and talk with me about his own spiritual journey, and as you'll learn, he never intended to be doing what he's doing today. Wow, well, Wayne, it's been quite a journey. I uh, grew up on a little dairy farm in northern Indiana. Didn't know much about anything except milking cows. And one thing, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life, but I knew what I did not want to do in life. <laughs> yeah, you and I have that in common. I didn't grow up in a dairy farm, but all my neighbors were dairy farmers, so I hung out milking cows all the time. Yeah, so it was an easy decision what not to do. But uh, actually, at, at, a, at a, as a very Mennonite-type community, though we weren't of the Mennonite faith. And uh, I remember one time at age nine, I was sitting in the back row of a church, and some lady came back and said, Byron, uh, your brother is getting saved, whatever that meant to me at that time, and don't you want to? And I had no conviction of God's Spirit in my heart, but I had one conviction. I didn't want to disappoint this lady. <laughs> so I did the thing. I walked the aisle. I remember signing a card and, and getting baptized a few weeks later. And I remember, most of all, having a wonderful answer from that day forward if anybody ever asked me if I was a Christian. <laughs> And so I said, yeah, I did this and I did that. So all through junior high and senior high, uh, that became my um, my answer to people who had the inquiry of whether or not I was a Christian and was saved. And so when I was getting out of high school, I decided I wanted to major in business, anything except milking cows, <laughs> chose a Christian college and arrived and established a um, – a goal that if I could uh, graduate from this college where their accounting graduates were making big bucks, then I could get a job and make a bunch of money, retire by the time I'm 40 with all this money. And so in college, I was under conviction intensely, multiple occasions, knowing really in my heart I was lost, made it through, got a job in business. But on my honeymoon, six months after I graduated from college, uh, we ran into a group called Life Action Ministries, which I serve with today, and only because there were some of these worship team members that I wanted to be in our wedding and they couldn't because they were in this church somewhere. So we decided to go see them on the third night of our honeymoon. And all I know is in all the church life preceding that, all the camps I attended, I'd never been in what I sensed was really the presence of God like we experienced that night. Hmm. So we became groupies, honestly. Went to David Merritt Jeremiah's church in Fort Wayne where the team was, this group called Life Action, and just kind of followed them around. And then three years into making this plan work into the business world, 
I get a phone call one time saying, Byron, uh, your wife could be on the worship team. You could be the business manager. And we were very active in our church. I mean, we were the epitome of religious lost people. Uh, we were heading up a, a flourishing junior high youth group. My wife was church secretary. We were singing in the choir. I was chairman of the Christian Education Committee. I mean, we were the fair-haired young couple uh, that was making an impact in this church. But all the time, I was on the verge, honestly, of an affair just a few years into our marriage. Mm. So we get this phone call, and uh, and my first response when they ask us if we would join this uh, group called Life Action, I said, how much will I make? <laughs> and uh, that was just intuitive for me. And sure. they said, nothing you'll raise your support as a missionary. Uh-huh. And I've been in church enough to know that a missionary raises their support. They don't get a salary. And I do the answer. I said, I'll pray about it. And uh, And just – really didn't, but kept following him around. My heart was thirsty. It was hungry for life, for the breath of God. And it was like a magnet to me, really. So there was something uh, attractive about what you were seeing there. There really was. And it wasn't the program and the methods. I mean, it was all that was great. But there was just this sense that God was there. And really, today, I could say that's maybe one of my favorite definitions of, of really a spiritual awakening or a revival. God is there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I finally make the decision, look, we'll come for one year. We're not going to raise our support as missionaries. I'm going to live off my savings account, as small as it may be, and we'll travel. We'll see America. We'll be in these churches, and then I'll go back into the business world. But that very first week, God knew what had my heart. It was like God said, Byron, I want you to give your savings account away. And I said, Lord, I can't do that. I'm going to live on that. And I just battled intensely the conviction of what had me. And the Spirit of God just broke into my heart. And finally, I just a couple of days into that, I heard a definition of repentance, Wayne. It went like this. It was a hard attitude that says, Lord, everything I know to be sin and everything you show me in the future to be sin, that I'd be willing to give it up for you. Not that I would, but my heart attitude would be that's, that, that's a heart attitude of the Lordship of Christ. And I thought at that moment, that's never been my heart attitude at age nine or any day since in all of Christian college and serving the Lord in a church. I'd never had that heart attitude of repentance. And so finally, really in agony, I said, Lord, you can have my savings account. I'll give it all away. And it was like the Lord said, I didn't want your money. I wanted you. Ah. I gave my heart to Christ my very first week in this ministry called Life Action. And that one year has turned into 38th year. And that is an unusual path to ministry right there. You know that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I tell people Life Action doesn't purposely recruit lost people. But, uh, <laughs> but, but God got God's, my heart. God's ways are mysterious, though. They really are. And yeah. uh, sometimes I think – well, I believe strongly uh, God tends to thrust us into places of service in the context of how he met with us, whether it's at a camp, then we love camp ministry, or uh, by a pastor, then we want to be a pastor. And in this case, early in that first year, I just saw the power of God. And mm. somebody said, when you see the fire of God, the smoke is on your clothes forever. Mm. Mm. And at Liberty University, it's in a book written by uh, called Glory in the Church. In those early days there in, in Lynchburg, our team was there on occasion when in a matter of three days, 
500 and some students came to Christ in the midst of a movement of God. And I'll never forget it. I mean, they shut down classes because the professors, teachers, had to stop under the conviction of God's Spirit to, to help people find them, help them find Christ. And students that began weeping in the middle of the class, so they just shut everything down, Jerry Falwell back then, and, uh, and called everything off in favor of God. And I'll never forget that fire in those days. And then in a city in Indiana, actually, a few months later, I think it was, but uh, for a period of maybe three days, I sensed this uh, manifest presence of God in this town, and everybody did. And uh, a banker never attended a Bible-believing church, didn't attend any services, just came under the conviction of God there at his desk, walked out on the street and says, can somebody please lead me to Christ, came to Christ, was thrust into full-time ministry, and he's still living today. And I'm telling you, he has a list of names of thousands of people that by God's grace, he's been a part of seeing them come to Christ. Thrilling. So, wow. so when, I, when I just uh, have been there in the midst of the presence of God like that, I, I just, uh, I just say I got to give my life to this. Just one more time, Lord, that you might descend in great power. And one of these days, it's going to be on the nation. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to talk more about uh, your heart, your vision for spiritual awakening, for revival. We'll talk about that. But a sidebar to your story: you made a comment to me one time that your brother had been killed in Vietnam. Is that the mm-hmm. same brother at the beginning of your story that was saved? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was another older brother. But that's another whole story that I've never – I need to write a book. It's an incredible uh, journey God has taken me on with miracles after miracles uh, that uh, – uh, uh, through that, that that God has used to reach hundreds and thousands of people. What the enemy may have meant for evil, whatever, God has really used for good. Tell me about Life Action Ministries. Tell me the scope of what you do. Well, first of all, the name itself may uh, uh, say a lot, really. There's a verse in Psalm that says, Give us life that we may call upon your name. And our whole passion is that the breath of God, the life of God, would come upon his people that automatically – the Bible says people volunteer freely in the day of thy power. And when his power comes, there's action. So uh, we try to be doers of the word, uh, but um, when we have life abundant, we are doers of the word. And so Life Action Ministries has grown with the mission of igniting a movement of authentic Christianity. Historically, some people may call it another great awakening in our nation or uh, that spills over into the world. Others may call it revival, whatever the term is. It's a movement of God's Spirit across his church that would just result in, as somebody said, more can happen in 10 seconds of the manifest presence of God than 10 years of life action meetings or going to church or radio broadcasts or anything apart from those divine moments of the supernatural, extraordinary work of God. So that is at the heart of why we exist, for the glory of God, to see the gospel lived out in the lives of believers in ways that there's great power. But that is expressed really in in multiple ministries. Many of our radio listeners would be familiar with uh, Revive Our Hearts with Nancy Lee DeMoss, and that's under the entity of Life Action Ministries as our women's ministry outreach, and and recently, more recently, the True Woman Movement and conferences and the True Woman brand on books and all of that with the purpose, though, ultimately to not just see women's lives touched and changed with the gospel, but to see that a spark to ignite something much bigger in our nation by way of revival. And then we have, uh, and Wayne, really what is kind of the flagship part of our ministry are these three teams of about 20-some individuals each that go into local churches and plant themselves for up to two weeks at a time and just ask those local churches, about 55 communities every year we do this, 
to shut down everything in favor of taking time to seek God. So shut down all of your programs. We bring our own children's ministers and youth revivalists and worship team and, and technicians and the revivalists or the preachers, the proclaimers of the word. And that church, if you can imagine any church, uh, 60 to 80 percent of their congregation coming out night after night, not every night, but most nights, just to seek the Lord for a fresh visitation of his spirit, dealing with the vertical relationship for about a week, and then the horizontal relationships. And Wayne, you know this in all your years of ministry, that when God's got our heart and um, he's done a work vertically in connection with him, then it's almost automatic how he restores relationships, put marriages back together, heals the, 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 the relationships within the home or the community and restitution, reconciliation. And, and then really, I believe the greatest form of evangelism falls on the heels of what God does in the hearts of his people in the church. We'll talk more with Byron Paulus of Life Action Ministries and One Cry, a call to national spiritual awakening coming up. Next time on First Person, author Max Lucado talks about grace in his own life. You know, I I still struggle, but I'm saved by God's grace. And listen, I'm being changed by God's grace every day. Some of the struggles that I had 10 years ago, I really don't have anymore. And some of the struggles I have today, I can't wait for 10 years because they're going to be gone. His newest book is titled Grace, and we'll talk with Max Lucado about his own life next time on First Person. My guest on First Person today is Byron Paulus, who is with Life Action Ministries, and we're so grateful to have Byron on the program with us today here on First Person. Byron, um, there have been revivals in our nation's history, and there have been revivals in our lifetime. This is something that you desire deeply for our country. Can we talk about that for a few moments? Yeah, we surely may. It's uh, It burns in my heart. It's a fire that I, I cannot extinguish. And I do believe that uh, this this nation has just uh, has an incredible history of God's movement that impacted every segment of our culture. You know, the first great awakening with Edwards and Whitfield and the Wesley brothers. I don't think we fully realize the extent of impact. They say as much as one-sixth the population of the United States came to Christ as a result of that one revival among God's people uh, there in the 1700s and Thirty, you know, twenties and thirties, and and uh, I just think, what if that were to happen today? You mm-hmm. know, one sixth of our population. What is that? Like fifty million people mm-hmm. wow. that would come to Christ, really, in just a couple of years. And uh, and God just uh, has done that in our history. The Second Great Awakening, uh, same thing in the, in the Eastern Seaboard, all through Kentucky and Tennessee. The great camp meetings that were birthed again as a spillover of what God did in meeting with His people. Massive evangelism, mission movements, most of them. We're familiar with today were birthed during seasons of revival. And then I think of 1857 and 8, and I share these because it's the stories of revival that it keeps that flame hot in my heart. <laughs> but there in the heart of New York City with one businessman, not even a pastor, a layman that begins to pray and then more come to pray and more come to pray until finally, uh, right on the heels of a, an economic collapse in our nation in 1857, God just descends and tabernacles in this nation. Again, millions come to Christ. One reporter, I love this story, one reporter was traveling from Los Angeles back to Boston, and he said, wherever I stopped, it was like one continuous prayer meeting. Hmm. 
so it's easy to sit back, I guess, and just say, well, that was 150 years ago or whatever. But uh, even early in my ministry, 40 years ago, uh, some of our listeners may not even be aware of this, but there was a quite a movement that was uh, in Canada. Uh, in Saskatchewan is where it began in 1971, I believe it was. And, and it's, it's many might hear of Henry Blackaby. That's where he was impacted, if you ever mm-hmm. read Experiencing God. and But the pastor in whose church that movement began told me this one time. He said, Byron, remember this, that in times of evangelism, evangelists seek sinners. But in times of revival, sinners seek the Lord. Mm. And here at Life Action, as you know, through Revive Our Hearts and our Life Action Road Team Ministries and churches and with campuses and Collegiate Impact and and now even more recently with One Cry, our, our burden is to just see really all God's people come together and leaders in one cry for an outpouring of God in spiritual awakening. Well, talk about our need. What 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 is our desperate need for revival? Well, I think our need is um, humility. And honesty and brokenness and repentance that paves the way, as you know, as Isaiah says, a highway of holiness for the grace of God to just flood upon his people and his church. And I, I do believe we live in a culture and a generation in the church where the church is not as healthy as maybe even the size collectively may give some indication to. And uh, we, we, we're in many local communities, many local churches, 6,000 now over our 40-year history. And uh, I think all of our communicators, all of our message team, from the Revive Our Hearts broadcast to our, our, our revivalist in churches would say the greatest need in the church, ironically, the greatest need in the church today is to deal with unforgiveness and bitterness. You know, there there, there seems to be so much um, sin, there is so much that is wrong, that I think maybe we lose sight of the fact that maybe there could be a spiritual awakening in this country. You really believe there could be, don't you? Well, I do believe the light does shine uh, most brightly in darkness. I believe when we come to the end of ourselves, and maybe, Wayne, some of the things you just shared there and the sin and the and the challenges that we're facing, even in our own personal walks, that sometimes that does bring us to the place where we can't do it. And what we need is something much larger than even our collective efforts as churches and evangelicals as a whole. We need God. And um, and that's there, as you know, in Revelation in the Laodicean church that uh, we came so self-sufficient uh, that uh, we don't need God. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill, who I think is maybe one of the most prolific writers and communicators in revival in just the late latter part of the last century there. But he said we become so self-sufficient that we don't need God. Hmm. We become so self-satisfied we don't want God. And we become so self-righteous that we don't pray and seek God and think we can do it on our own and our own righteousness, our own strength. And uh, I do think that I find myself, Wayne, and revival isn't a one-time experience. It's uh, revive us again and again, turn us again. And it's almost daily, moment by moment, saying, Lord, I need you. Uh, would you please come do a fresh work in my own heart? Now, I'll, with this in mind, you have uh, started something called One Cry, and I know many listeners are familiar with this, but tell me the vision behind One Cry. Well, actually, it was birthed when uh, I got away for a week and, and said, Lord, uh, in the organization I'm I'm helping to lead, I said, uh, we're in a 40th anniversary deal. I just want to take a week, a week and say, Lord, uh, we've been at this for 40 years, and our nation isn't better. It's worse off. <laughs> what is it that we're missing? 
And he, God took me, uh, first of all, within my own circle, the place of great need in my own life, of uh, lack of dependency upon him. We have a great staff and strategies. I just say, let's get our staff together. Let's pray. Let's do what we're supposed to do. And God, what do you have for us? And God just really convicted me that, that Byron, why don't you get away with me and let me speak to your heart individually? In the process of that, he, he just pointed out areas of my own life that were very selfish, very self-centered, and really uh, uh, lacking all that God wanted me to be. And so I confessed those as sin, shared some with my wife and my colleagues here. And then you know how it is. Sometimes after you've met with God in a manner of a minute more of what he wants comes to light mm-hmm. in your own heart <laughs> than weeks of being. And that's exactly what happened. So here was the birthing room of one cry. I had been doing serious study really over a period of a couple of years in the second chapter of Acts there, the early church, just saying, Lord, what, what is it they did? And so I even had a, you know, I studied movements, you know, like there in Acts 2, movements begin by not moving and you must experience it before you export it. And they're messy, as it says there, you know, and what happened and Christ-centered, word-driven, wonderful principles out of Acts 2. But at that moment when he was speaking to me, in those few seconds, really, it's like God said to my heart, Byron, you're looking at all the methods. Look at the people I used. Mm. And there were three types of people there in Acts 2. It were those intercessors, those who prayed. Then it said they went forth and told the mighty acts of God. There were voices telling the stories of what the hope of revival. And then thirdly, Peter, who brought community and context and clarity to the messiness that was going on. And it was like, Byron, why don't you, instead of coming up with all the principles and methods, why don't you just simply ask me to raise up prayers voices and leaders at this moment in history who would step up to the plate and say, we're going to come together in a nationwide call for spiritual awakening, realizing the answer's not in politics, the answer's not in better education, the answer's not in better entertainment, the answer's not in in Wall Street, the answer is in the church house. I'm going to give the website in a few moments here where listeners can plug into what's happening with One Cry. And we have just a few moments left, Byron, but there's something very special happening in just a few days now on Tuesday, October 30th. Just take a few moments and describe what's going to happen. Yeah, I can't wait for that on October 30th because every revival has been given birth to or cradled or nurtured in prayer. And so there is a really a nationwide concert of prayer for revival, October 30th. I believe it's 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock Eastern time for two hours. Uh, it's a concert of prayer. There will be national leaders that will be praying. The Chicago Tabernacle Choir will be joining us and praying. And a, and a neat thing, Wayne, as you know, because you helped facilitate this, it's live, not canned radio, live <laughs> there right. in the and studio. That's right, listeners can pray right with us and along with Amen. us. Amen. Yep. Yeah, I, I just think it. Uh, this is the answer. God's people coming together with one cry. There will be diversity of denomination, ethnic diversity, generational diversity, gender diversity. Geographically, there will be diversity. God's people coming together with one cry. Proverbs 16.9 says that a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We've heard that verse come to life through the story of Byron Paulus today on First Person. One of the things we talked about with Byron is his vision for OneCry.com, a prayer movement seeking a spiritual revival in our nation. Well, this coming Tuesday night, October 30th, there will be a live broadcast called the One Cry Prayer Summit Decision 2012, just a week before America's presidential election. 
It will be my privilege to host that broadcast alongside Dr. Bob Bakke and, as you heard, Byron Paulus and others who will join us to pray that evening. The One Cry Prayer Summit will be carried live by many radio stations, but you can also join us online and we'll place more information at firstpersoninterview.com. So plan to join us on Tuesday evening, October 30th for the One Cry Prayer Summit Decision 2012. Follow the links at firstpersoninterview.com or look us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Next week, our guest will be Max Lucado. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person.